Welcome to Smooth Burrito. I am Frank. And I am Trevor. And we have some news, but it's all dumb. So we're going to talk about just video games that we like um, for the year. I think this is our goatee episode. Or, yeah. well, it's Trevor's goatee episode. It's my goatee T-I-P-T-D-N- C O Y or T Y? That's game of the year tight. that I played that didn't necessarily come out this year. That's fucking tight, dude. That is the best Goaty <laughs> abbreviation I have ever heard in my life. I'm gonna have to call the episode that now. <laughs> this is a true. This is already the smoothest of burritos. Oh hell yeah! But before that, what have you been playing? I've been playing a few things. Um. I want to talk about Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity for a second because I did start that, almost finished it, and I'm mad at it. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't play Muso games, um, but I wanted to try this one out. It's in like the old Breath of the Wild universe. I wanted to see the story and I wanted to give it a fair shake. You know what I mean? And so I did. And I will say, like, the f there's, like, seven or so chapters in the game. And I'd say the first five and a half chapters are literally just so easy. Like, you just button mash. Um, you don't even really have to level your weapons or really level your characters. You just fly through the game with effortlessly. Um, like literally you can multitask you don't even have to be looking at the screen really because there was a couple of occasions where i was like watching tv and playing the game without even looking at the game that's that's how easy the game was and then all of a sudden it's impossible i hate it when they do that um like literally impossible so there's this insane difficulty spike like right at the last chapter where okay Say you're not an experienced Muso player and you don't know about, you know, how these games typically work, but apparently it's a common thing. Um, where at the end of the game it's just an insane difficulty spike. And you haven't been leveling your weapons, you've just been flying through the game enjoying the story. Um, you haven't been really leveling your characters or going out of your way to do a bunch of side missions, um, or overlevel yourself or grind, or you know, do all the things you need to do to kind of you know, get up there because to you, it was just extra shit and you didn't want to do the extra shit. You're just here for the story. Well, right at the last chapter, right before you finish the game, you have to go back now, grind for hours and do all that extra shit just to get, just to finish the game. Because if you don't, it's literally impossible. Like you just can't, it's like this wall. Where it's like, oh yeah, you didn't do all the side stuff that we didn't tell you you had to do. And we kind of made you believe with the way the game was being played and how easy it was um, that it was completely unnecessary. Well, now it's really necessary and you're right at the end of the game. So how about you spend like several hours doing a bunch of unnecessary shit you didn't want to do in the first place just to get past this final half chapter of the game? Yeah, that's that sounds really annoying. I generally dislike games that and I actually have complaints about the Scott Pilgrim game along these lines in a second. I dislike games that gate their difficulty behind level requirements 
Yeah. Some to the point where the game actually gets easier the hot more you level up. But yeah. that this method of having the game be super easy until this giant fucking wall of difficulty change. You have failed as a game designer if that happens. Like, you should have a difficulty curve that makes sense, regardless of what the end difficulty is. The curve yeah, a quarter of the way, the same. Like, a quarter of the way through the game, I should have hit some sort of wall. Yeah. Right? That was just like, hey, we need you to do a little bit of side shit to progress. This is how this game is going to go. Right? Set the expectation. Like, okay, I'm a quarter of the way through the game. It was super easy up to this point. I didn't do any side stuff. I was just here for the story. But now chapter two chapter three or so it's starting to pick up in difficulty and then i'm just like okay so now i understand how this works i understand that this is the kind of shit i'm gonna have to do throughout the duration of this game in order to beat it instead of doing that to the last half chapter which now makes me so angry because i just want to finish it i just want to see the end of the story like i just want to check this game off and move on to the next thing but now I have to do a bunch of shit I never wanted to do in the first place just to finish it. Yeah, this it's cases like this where I think that going the route of looking up the ending on YouTube and just saying fuck it is fine. Because, like, take Armored Core Nexus or Ninebreaker, whichever the arena-only PlayStation 2 entry is. That game gets to a point, and granted this game was just, it's a purely arena experience with, like, randomly generated opponents and, uh, and parts, so, like... I'm not begrudging the fact that there was a huge difficulty spike like I would in a more tailored experience like this uh, this Zelda game, like the Zelda Musu is supposed to be. But there's yeah. still a point where it just turns into who can fire off the most grenade spam at the start of the round and instantly kill the other guy. And at that point, I'm just like, you are asking me to tailor, either grind a ton or tailor my gameplay style in a specific cheesy way that makes the game unfulfilling. And either way, I think at that point, the game just... Why do I care? Yeah, I know what you mean. And it just sucks, because, like, I was enjoying the story of the game, but I just didn't really enjoy the game that much, because the Zelda stuff just has no business being a Musou game. I hate it. Like, I'm a... Like... I'm a huge fan of Zelda. Played all of them. And honestly, like, have nothing bad to say about any of the Zelda games, although I know they have their flaws, don't get me wrong. But I've enjoyed all of them. Um, and I feel like this just salts the the Zelda name. It's like the movie, the Greenland, the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie, where it's like, okay, the comic book character is good, the comics are good, the movie is horrible, and they fucking made a horror like now the green lantern name is scarred forever because this movie exists type thing that's how like i feel about this it's it's zelda is just like a great series where its mechanics and puzzles and game design are just so uh thoughtfully done and very like well put together um and this is just mindless nonsense well, that's Muso games for you to a point too. Like they're supposed to be turn on and zone out type of shit, right? And one one could argue that you know that doesn't really fit Zelda. It doesn't, I don't think, it like doesn't. mechanically. 
Um, as far as conveying story goes, like, you could do it in cutscene, but, like, you know, they always just, like, even... All these Musou spinoffs, like the, the earlier Gundam ones and that Fire Emblem one, they all just amount to shallow experiences that are wrapped in fan service. That's um, it, yeah. Although I have, like, I have someone who would pick, pick a bone with me about saying that the Gundam ones are a shallow experience, but... I think that a lot of the Musou-based spinoffs that I've seen on the Switch, at least, have been, and the Nintendo ones, have been shallow experiences that are wrapped up in fan service, and that's really it. Yeah, I'm interested to see this Persona 5 one. Apparently, it's gotten um, a lot of positive feedback from, like, from Japan, where it's been out for a really long time. Um, and that's not, like, a Nintendo one that's, like, multi-platform. So I'll be interested to see that one um also i'm just like an insanely diehard persona fan so uh that's the thing right it's the fan service right like i'm a yeah, I'm a yeah that's how they diehard, you in. i'm a diehard zelda fan i love persona i'm gonna pick these games up i'm gonna play them it's that wall this is my first muso game it's that wall that i wasn't expecting that makes me so angry because to be honest if that wall didn't exist I probably would have came around and been like, oh, this is like a seven, seven I and think, a half. I like enjoyed my time with it. It I was good. Part the of story it too was solid. It's just like within the within the Muso genre or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the Dynasty Warriors game series and the spinoffs. Uh, I think that there is a certain mechanical expectation that has been set. And I'm I'm speaking out of my depth here because like well, I know some people who play these games, I'm not, like, I, I have not played any of them myself, but it seems like there are a lot of conventions, and that difficulty spike might be one of them. That being said, you kind of have to convey that, or just not do it. Like, you can't surprise, I think surprising your average, like, Zelda guy with that convention at the end of the game leads to what is happening here where an otherwise satisfactory experience is completely soured just because you didn't know like what paradigm you were supposed to play the game in which is still the fault of the people who made it i'm not right. this isn't this isn't like a get good demon souls type scenario yeah. where it's just like just be better at the game it's not that like if you go into this section of the game under leveled with your weapons, your characters, you haven't unlocked certain things, it's not possible to play it beyond that point. So it's like you have to you have to be you have to do like a certain amount of side shit to get past that point in the game and the game never conveys that to you. Yeah. I think my favorite type of I guess action RPG, although action RPG probably isn't the right word. Like, RPG that isn't purely stat-based, right? Where you're actually going up and thwacking someone. Like, or an RPG probably isn't the right word, but, like, stat-based progression system. Like, you know, Symphony of the Night is a stat-based progression system. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. My favorite stat-based progression systems are like Symphony of the Night, where you don't really ever have to grind if you have mechanical enough mechanical finesse to where you can just play the game. The leveling and grinding aspect, and I guess, like, I would say character build, but these games are so build-light that, like, you can't really call it a build, it's just numbers going up. But, like, that that uh, portion of the game is really only there... I like games where that portion is only there to kind of act as a fallback in case a player 
needs to grind to get an advantage on whatever they're stuck on. But, like, me as someone who is more, I don't know, I guess, familiar with these kind of games and able to play them, uh, doesn't necessarily have to worry about the leveling aspect of them. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, just to kind of move on from from that, I have been playing a couple other games. Can I, uh, uh, it ties in so well. Can I vent my spleen about the Scott Pilgrim game real quick? Yeah, of course, definitely. So the Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the arcade game, the re-release, whatever the hell they're calling it, got re-released right. by Ubisoft recently. And Ian uh, hit me up and was like, hey, do you want to play this? Because, you know, Scott Pilgrim was like a big deal for us back in the day and that game included yeah. and i hadn't gotten to touch the wallace dlc at all because for some reason it came out like three years after the game did and by then no one cared but that shit's included so i finally got to play that dlc too and the game i was confronted with is not mechanically sound in a way that i am used to now having been spoiled by other beat-em-ups right uh, there are a few mistakes that they make, but the I think the biggest thing that I dislike about that game is that a lot of your mechanics, like, you don't get a full set of character mechanics. And I don't mean attacks. I mean just kind of necessary mechanics, like parrying or throwing or fucking, like, I think there's even a dodge somewhere in there. You don't get that stuff until you hit level 20. Oh, the wow. game is intentionally created in such a way that you have to grind have to there's no other way around it like unless you're amazing at the game you are going to be doing such little damage unless you grind enough money to buy enough crap to give you good stats like that you are going to be absolutely screwed and i think on top that on top of some of the mechanical missteps that like like the character's guard that can't be broken except for through throws and yeah sure that makes sense except there are a lot of characters aside from like the regular ass enemies where you can't throw them so you can't guard break characters at all really and they can't like their block strings last so long that you are probably going to get hit and if not hit you're going to be stuck until you get flanked and then you're going to get hit and then on top of that, your get-off-me attack, which in any other beat-em-up comes out instantly, has in invincibility frames, and, like, you know, you're able to use it in situations where you're getting dogpiled, it can get stuffed on the first frame and not come out. So, it's basically useless aside from using it in combos. And I'm fine with a combo-based game, but, like, if you're, gonna, if you're making that kind of game, like, the, at least for, in terms of Scott Pilgrim, the combo system is severely lacking and i do say this at first blush because i'm like level 10 maybe maybe like five and about halfway through the game and i know for a fact that i haven't unlocked all the combat abilities that my character has so it might open up more later and i'm definitely still going to be playing it but like this it's not a great game at first blush and i think that the kind of games that like while there's value in something that you need to get into as a player before you fully understand it, I think that the lack of conveyance is doing more harm than good. And I think you can say that about most games, to be honest. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Like, one of my big Dark Souls complaints is that 
most most people are like read a walkthrough, read a wiki before you play it, which to me, again, if you have to do that, the game designer has failed. Like, the game designer should equip you with whatever tools you need to play this game. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, that you're going to get your hand held all the way through. But something. I think that more recently, the design of the Dark Souls games has, has fixed that. They, I'd say, like, Demon Souls and the first Dark Souls almost require a strategy guide yeah and I, i'm sort. thinking of the first dark souls specifically when i say this i haven't played any of the other ones really um i didn't care for dark souls 2 dark souls 3 is great and i think just exploration alone should guide you um bloodborne incredible game design and uh sekiro i still need to really dive into i've been meaning to do that saying either like you know the school of hard knocks can teach you but the stats menu in this game is so buried like there are instances when you're in a shop you can't pause you can't see your stats which is great because that's where you buy stat upgrades from and they say like oh you bought chips or whatever plus five strength okay let me check my strength can't do that have to do this dance where i exit the shop wait for my friend to exit the shop, hit pause, hit another button for status that should have just opened up in the pause screen uh, because they have the space literally below where the character portraits are in the same interface that they stick the stats in when you hit status. So, like, for, for being such a big part of the game, the stats are just kind of hidden behind this veneer of pick-up-and-play, arcade, whatever. Right. And I'm, again, I'm fine with that, but... Maybe something, aside from getting my shit kicked in by the enemies and, you know, leaving me thinking that this game is way harder than it is, something, somebody at the start should just be like, hey, you're going to have to grind a bit before you hit this level. Or, you know, it's, it's fucking Scott Program. You could literally call it grinding. Like, in-universe, like, all, with all the video game terms, just render it in video game terms, but fucking render it, please. Anyway, um, I think that that is my, all of my Scott Pilgrim complaints. So, floor is yours <laughs> for actual video games that uh, we enjoyed. Um, I have been actually... I, I do want to mention one other game I'm playing. Uh, I've been playing 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim. Um, it was, like, heavily recommended. I actually read an article about it. It was, like um the best playstation exclusive of 2020 that no one played yeah all my uh, friends are trying to get me into really into that game because i like mechs and i like the previous games that george kamatani has put out i just haven't gotten to it yet yeah so far it's really good i'm like a few hours in um it's as like horny as all the other vanillaware <laughs> games yeah um but the story, like the actual narrative, is extremely well done. Um, you know what's actually funny? So, when I got recommended that game first, I didn't realize it was a Vanillaware game. And so I was like, I don't know, this looks like some horny anime bullshit. And then when I heard it was a Vanillaware game, I was like, okay, that gets a pass knowing that the gameplay and story are going to be good now. Right. 
Yeah, that, that's definitely how I feel when I hear about like a Vanillaware game, right? At like first glance, and the Vanillaware art style kind of sticks out here too as well. Like, it kind of um... man likes his proportions. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's it's hard to say too much about it because I don't want to spoil anything, but also. Uh, I'm only like a few hours in. All I can really say about it is that I like it a lot. Um, it's definitely got some typical Vanillaware stuff in it, but this is definitely like panning out to be the best narrative game that Vanillaware has ever done. So I'm excited to see it through. I'm enjoying it. It's good. Nice. Well, that's good for good news for me. I'm looking forward to good robot game. I'll have to bump that up my list a bit, I think. Good robot game. It is a good robot game. Are we uh, uh ready to get into the good game of the yeah. year game discussion? Sure. I'm that ready. was a transition. I tried. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was <laughs> um so yeah, I have. Uh, I wrote an article on the Game Fanatics in my top five games of the year. Um, I guess I'll kind of go through those. I also have some honorable mentions here. Um, so I'll start with number five. And number five for me was Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, the original Spider-Man game was super good i mean it was widely known like everybody could agree that it was a, a well-done game and then miles morales was announced and a lot of people thought this was gonna be like a full-fledged sequel and ended up being more of a expansion on the original i actually preferred the miles morales story to the original quite a bit um i liked the characters better i liked the storyline better um it refined a lot of the mechanics from the first game. I just, I enjoyed Miles Morales more, and I feel like if it was like this fully fleshed out sequel, it would have been miles ahead, I guess, pun ah. intended, of the original game. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely on my top five. I also think it was like the best PS5 launch title exclusive um, that came out. It was just really well done uh it it catered to a lot of the hardware improvements it had a really good smooth 60 frames per second mode um they actually added with an update a mode with 60 frames per second and ray tracing oh that's cool um, so yeah uh miles morales great game um if i i feel like if you're playing this like if you're planning to get a playstation 5 and all you have is playstation 4 like i would hold off and play this game on on the ps5 like it's it's very good uh it'll, it'll like make you feel good about like having the ps5 over the ps4 uh it's one of like the things you can like show off with it um number four i have persona 5 royal and i would have put it as number one if it wasn't a game that had already released years ago um Persona 5 Royal, like Persona 5 is like one of my all-time favorite games, hands down. I, mean, I could probably put it in my top three uh, favorite games of all time ever made. Um, I've put hundreds of hours. I've played the original 
Persona 5 when it came out, put a couple hundred hours into that game. And then Persona 5 Royal came out and I was really excited to put like 200 more hours into that game. And I put more than 200 hours into that game because I platinumed it. Um, uh, I 100% had just did everything uh, that you could do in Persona 5 Royal. And it's so good. Um, it The story stuff and the character stuff that they added to the original and the new ending and everything is just makes it all come together in a more cohesive way. Uh, and I'm like, this is the definitive Persona 5 experience. Like, this is like the one that if anybody has not played Persona 5 yet, it has to be Royal. I actually get a question a lot like, do I need to swear to spend the money on Royal or should I just buy Persona 5? And it's like, definitely get Royal. Like, without question, you're missing out on so much content and all of the like quality of life features in Persona 5 that Royal improved on are like essential at this point. Uh, I know you're not like too much of a Persona person. Like, I don't think oh. you typically play those games, but. I, yeah, I haven't played any of them. Um, P5 has me almost picking one up. Uh, but we'll see if I actually do that. But yeah, I will have to pick up the Royal Edition. Yeah, you got to do Royal. That's the way to go. Um, and I got The Last of Us Part Two at number three. Um, this game was going to be here. Yeah. I liked it. Uh, I know there's like a lot of shit on it. Um, and I don't know. Like, I don't know if I liked it as much as the first one. I feel like the first one was like a good kind of surprise and turn from what we were used to coming from Naughty Dog. Um, and The Last of Us 2 did some stuff with the story where it switched some shit up you know, halfway through the game and um, did some shit with the characters that a lot of people were mad about. Uh, but overall, like, gamers just get mad about shit because they love to get mad about <laughs> shit. And that's just, like, kind of what they do. So if you take this game and put all the bullshit that came along with it aside and form your own opinions on it, it's a good game. Um and the story is well done. And if you liked the characters uh, in the original game, um, you're probably going to like the new characters and some of the old characters and the new game. I thought that mechanically, not much changed. This is a very similar game mechanically to the first one. Um, if you play them back to back, you'll probably get a little fatigued by... Um, how similar the games play. Uh, but overall, The Last of Us Part Two was a, was a great game, in my opinion. Very much enjoyed it. I think that, like, honestly, I don't want to say more of the same, because they did expand upon it in certain ways, but, like, I do think that more of the same was what people were looking for. You know, they wanted right. their PS5 uh, well, PS4, PS5, I guess. Last of Us game. And, you know, they got it. 
uh, good for them. I didn't have any interest, but I checked out of that series when it got announced. Because I was like, Uncharted with zombies! Cool! I don't need any more zombies, ever! Bye! But, you know, for the people who like it, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, if you liked the first one and you liked the series of The Last of Us, you should give The Last of Us Part Two a go um, and take all people's bullshit and put it to the side and form your own opinions on it. Because I think if you do that, you'll come away from it with the opinion that at least it's a good game, right? It does some shit that is questionable, and there's definitely some, like, um, story decisions and kind of design you know game design decisions as well that are very controversial but um i enjoyed it yeah Um, and i i do i do need to hit this point on the head and i don't so we've done a lot of talking about cyberpunk right we had an entire episode dedicated to cyberpunk last time mm -hmm. cyberpunk has like crunch issues Last of Us 2 had crunch issues. Yeah. Basically every game, unless it's from a very specific publisher, like with very specific publishers, who then say that there's no crunch involved, probably has crunch involved. So, And then in that case, there's probably still a little bit of crunch involved. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't <laughs> like... I'm not trying to excuse people who... I'm not trying to excuse the perpetrators of said crunch, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, just because you bought and enjoyed a thing that was made under ex- uh, exploitive labor practices like that does not mean that artistry did not go into it. And also, that problem is way, 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 way more widespread than we've been talking about. So singling out but, you even know, outside Last of, of Us 2 or even Cyberpunk for it. Is just kind of cherry picking, I think. I mean, there's crunch so many in so many studios, but even outside the game industry, and like even and just like if you look in software development in general, I feel like crunch should be talked about more in in just software development. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, being completely uh, accurate, crunch needs to be talked about everywhere because crunch is the same as having to work extra hours off the clock or not getting any breaks or any other sort of exploitive labor practice that we should get rid of. But yeah, like, like crunch is an epidemic and we should talk about it, but you personally should not feel bad for For playing games that have crunch involved. Now that's not to say that if you, if you disagree with crunch, and are on the fence about buying this stuff, that you should buy this, and, like, you know, the crunch is okay. But if you've already bought it, like, I guess what I'm saying is, if you've already bought it and played it and liked it, don't beat yourself up. Right. I agree. Um, But yeah, I know, that's all I had to say about The Last of Us 2. Um, next one, Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's number two. This is my second favorite game last year. I loved it. I thought there was no way this game would be this good. Um my expectations for it were extremely low because of the whole development hell that this has been in, how it got split into multiple entries, how we heard nothing about it for several years, and all of a sudden it's coming out soon. Um, 
it ended up being the this game is fucking great. Final Fantasy VII Remake is a great game. The combat, the whole like, um, the combat mechanics in Final Fantasy VII Remake are definitely my favorite aspect of it. I expected it to be more like Final Fantasy XV, where it's essentially like a hack and slash game with a little bit of extra shit in it, but it's pretty complex, uh, especially once you get pretty far in the game. Um, you really have to understand how the combat mechanics work and you really need to be able to use all of the things you've learned to like get through the game. Um, the story is great. I think they made a couple changes to the core Final Fantasy VII story where I was like, oh, okay, I mean, like, this is okay. I, I was not upset or pissed off about anything they did in this game. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. And also, graphically, this is, like, the best-looking game on the PS4, hands down. Um, there was somebody on Twitter who was like, can't wait for the PS5 upgraded version of this game. I'm like, this game looks better than, like, all the PS5 games that are out right now. Like, what do you, what do you want them to do? Like, yeah, I don't know. Put, why would you t- spend extra graphics on level seven? <laughs> it's like, why would you spend the extra? T- There's still more entries to this game that need to be released. Why would you spend more time on this game getting like some PS5 upgrade? And I guarantee what they're the going to do is like roll any sort of PS5 upgrade development into making the second entry so that they can just update the engine of the first one later. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear more about the second interest entry and um whatnot, but yeah, this this game was great. Uh, extremely impressed with it. It was a little shorter than I expected. It was like takes roughly like thirty thirty five hours to get through. Um, but it was good. I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. Definitely one of my favorite games last year. Um. But my favorite game last year was Ghost of Tsushima. Um, Sucker Punch, known for the infamous games, very different from what Ghost of Tsushima ended up being. Uh, it Ghost of Tsushima at first feels like a lot of open world games where it's just going to be like the next Assassin's Creed, but it does a lot of things different. Um, doesn't really hold your hand in the way like Assassin's Creed does, where like one hour into Assassin's Creed, you just have a map lit up with a bunch of waypoints and you just spend the whole entirety of the gameplay, like the game's duration, just going from point to point and completing missions. And it tells you everywhere you need to go and do everything you need to do. Um, Ghost of Tsushima kind of goes in the other direction where it doesn't really guide you, just kind of lets you... Um, do your own thing like if you choose to go out and explore and find side shit to do then awesome um if you choose to help certain characters and further along story awesome there's um the way that it kind of weaves some of the side content into the actual main story i think is really well done um you can choose to get uh you can choose to like do certain things to elaborate on certain aspects of the main story by doing certain side missions for certain characters that are very prominent in the main uh, story. And then it kind of just fleshes everything out that much more, Uh, or you can avoid them altogether, but it 
it's definitely was like familiar but also a little bit of a unique take on like an open world game so i enjoyed it a lot uh the story was really well done um graphically the environments were gorgeous and i i had a ton of fun with it i thought it was great yeah Uh, i really need to pick up a copy of that um it looks really really hyped to me i need to try it out yeah ghost tsushima is great um and then there was just like a few other games that I wanted to mention that like didn't really make a top five list and that uh, those were uh, the Demon Souls remake. Uh, I thought Blue Point nailed this one, stays true to the original game, but graphically is insane. Uh, so that one's fun. Animal Crossing New Horizons. I know we've both played this a ton. Yeah. This came at a time at like the perfect time when everything was shit, and this was like the happiest game ever made. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, that was a great game at a great time. Um, great escapism. Nintendo nailed it with this one. Uh, so I still have fun with that every once in a while. Um, and then one that's not going to be on a lot of people's lists, and I almost put this on my top five list: uh, Mafia Definitive Edition. Um. The original Mafia on the PS2, like, I don't know, maybe it's just like a cult following, but like, I was like a hardcore fan of that game. Um, loved it. And when I found out they were doing like a full ground up remake of that game, and I saw like screenshots for it, I was like, holy shit, this looks great. And they really stuck true to the Mafia like PS2 game, like the whole story, like each scene, like all that shit stuck true to it beat for beat um and it was incredible playing this game it was just so it looked so good it played really well they added like difficulty modes because the original ps2 version was known for being like just this insanely difficult ultra realistic game but they also included the classic mode where it could be that ultra realistic insanely difficult game um where like cops pull you over for speeding and you can bribe cops and like shit like that and like a couple shots will kill you um but yeah this and the driving is like ultra realistic and shit like that. it's just so refined and especially some for like the ps2 arrow is just like something really different and i i actually really appreciated what they did and the love they showed to it um i thought this was really well done so that's yeah, an honorable that's- mention that's another one on my two playlist. Mafia always stuck out in in a world where every world. <laughs> where so every funny. open world game uh goes off of the template for the most part of like every GTA style game at least goes off of the template of like GTA 3, GTA Vice City where you're basically an, an unstoppable force of nature out to murder everything in front of you. Mafia is mm-hmm. the only one that tries to treat that realistically, and I think when it, the original came out at that time, that definitely hurt it, except for people who actually got into that game, which, again, that might be down to its conveyance. I haven't played it myself, I'm not sure, but, like, people who got into it, into that game loved it, people who were looking for a GTA-like experience did not. That yep. being said, I think this Definitive Edition definitely, like, both groups can take advantage of that now yeah the story is also really good like if you're into mob movies and shit like that this is just such a 
good like mob flick storyline. I am a big perform uh, proponent of wise guys doing things in yeah. media, not in real life. But in media, <laughs> hashtag not in uh, asterisk not in real life. <laughs> but yeah, it's great. Um, loved that game. I, I thought it was really good and really well done. And um, yeah, the original. You're right. A lot of people were turned off by the fact that it was just like so difficult and you weren't like this overpowered freaking crazy person that can do anything they want whenever they want they went for the ultra realistic route and some of the casuals had issues with that um they didn't want to get into some of the casuals had issues some, with that some of the they didn't want to get into the hardcore shit man they didn't want to As die after two shots. Gamer, I've beaten the original Mafia game six times. Only three, dude. All right. <laughs> I've only beat it three times, plus the definitive edition. I was going to say, is that mode. counting your playthroughs <laughs> in the definitive edition? <laughs> on classic mode, Frank, because that's the only way to play it. The only way to play. Um, I think, uh, did you have any more honorable mentions? No. I mean, okay. there's probably some out there, but um, yeah, not not really. My my list is going to be more interesting, not interesting, uniquely structured. Let's put it that way than Trevor's because I have no real concept of time. I am above that. I exist at all times, at all places, and these are the games that I played over the past year that I thought were worth mentioning. Uh. A lot of these games did not come out in 2020, so sorry. Here we are, I guess. Um, sorry. I, I do have to that. open with a game that did come out in 2020, though, and was on your list as well, Animal Crossing. Uh, yeah. That game was real. That game was really good and came at the perfect time, I think. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, this past, like 2020 is probably the most stressful year on record for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And Animal Crossing being the the dose of like happy coordination and social cooperation that it is really helped those first few months of being you know in 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 this year in this pandemic stuck inside whatever whatever grab bag of dog shit you want to pick out of that game did a bit to uh, relieve that and also just mechanically it's probably one of the best Animal Crossing games I think. If you wanna, if you wanna get like, if you wanna argue about feature set and nitpick, then some of the Wii entries that I think, uh, I, I think have like some diehard fans where there were things that are missing from the new one. But for me, who hadn't played one since Wild World, that game was great. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree, one hundred percent, dude. Yeah, and now on to the weirdies. Uh, I'm just going to go chronologically from bottom up, I think, to, like, most recent. I'm also going off of, like, my Steam locally installed and last played list and also what's in my brain. But I, I need to keep, like, my New Year's resolution is to keep a, game, a list of games that I have played and, like, where, like, did I beat them so I know. But I haven't started doing that yet, so here we are. Ultimate Chicken Horse. If you like platformers, old 2D, like, 2D-style platformers or, like, Mario Maker or something but want a four-player competitive version of that, where it's this interesting game where you're all kind of collaboratively or competitively building the level 
Um, and it gets really funny. You can screw each other over in interesting ways. There are a ton of cute characters. Really good game. Really cheap if uh, you are looking for a, a good... Well, a couch co-op might be out of the question. But a good Parsec or online co-op, I think it has some form of networking uh, game. That's a good one. Uh, Risk of Rain 2 is another a good one. Yeah. one that I would point out. Another another very strong multiplayer game. Uh, takes the side-scrolling Risk of Rain formula and reimagines it as a third-person shooter. And it has a it has a lot more characters than it did when it launched. And also just some of the builds that you can make are really, really fun to play in that game. So especially if you like games like... If you like the original Risk of Rain and that run-based style of combat, kind of like that roguelike-esque style of combat, and you'll like it. If you like games like Borderlands, I think, then you will probably like it as well. And it's another one that's pretty cheap and cheerful. Uh, Red Out, Enhanced Edition. Um, if you like F-Zero, go play this game right now. Like. It is the closest anyone has gotten to replicating F-Zero for me. It does lean a little closer to Wipeout than the original F-Zero did, but, like, I think it... In terms of being the the F-Zero alike, or the F-Zero spiritual successor or replacement in my brain slot until Nintendo finally graces us with a new one of those, Red Out takes the spot. Really good anti-grav racer. Really fast. Still need to play it in VR now that I bought a headset. Uh, by the way, I bought an old Oculus dev kit too. I forgot to mention that, but oh, nice! That uh, that's going to be terrifying. Haven't tried it yet, but that's fun. Um, and then yeah, I think just going through here, let's get into actual stuff that I want to talk a little bit more in depth about. Although this is one last honorable mention. X Zodiac. This game isn't even out yet. It's still being kickstarted. There's a demo available on Steam. Someone made an old Star Fox. That's really like it plays like Star Fox 64 and looks like Star Fox on SNES. That's the only way I can explain it. The music's good. The graphics are nice and retro and give you that those good nostalgia feels. The person who's making it is very responsive and keeps adding content as the development goes along. And he's very responsive on like Kickstarter. But yeah, Exodiac, the demo. Check it out. It's free. It's a couple levels. If you like it, uh, then shoot the guy. I think it's like 16 bucks, or at least it was when I funded it. Um, but yeah, that, that game is going to be great when it comes out. Uh, last quick one. Slime Rancher is cool. That's really all I have to say. Like, it's a lot of people, like, it came out in 2017, but it's still fun, like, Especially if you just like, I don't know, Chow Garden type shit, except in first person where you're hurting a bunch of cute things with dumb faces into, like, different spots and, like, I don't know, ranching them, I guess. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good waste of time. Um, another game that actually came out this year, amazingly enough, is Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. And I do want to talk in depth about this one because it has some mixed reviews on Steam that I've seen. Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is a game in the vein of the old Wing Commander spin-off Privateer where you are essentially, you know, you're a Privateer. Mercenary hired gun. Um, or you just deliver shit to people, legal or illegal. Whatever you want to do, it's that type of game. 
It's a single-player experience. I do need to add that because I think a lot of people are looking for, like, a more No Man's Sky or Elite Dangerous type thing. And I will actually mention No Man's Sky here in a second. But Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, for what it is, which is, like, I think I paid $30 for it at full price. It is a really good little space game with, like, memorable characters. I'm not crazy far into it. I'm only about eight hours in. But... I've had fun so far, and it also has what might be the best, like, customization as far as anything mechanical I've ever seen, because they basically implemented a very limited, like, graphical editing program, and you can edit the texture directly on the spaceship, you can import PNGs, you can do all kinds of weird, goofy shit. It's, like, the stuff that you can make is very unique. You can import and export, like, textures. It literally just does the texture file on the model. Um... Something that I really want to see more games get into. But that game was great. No Man's Sky got no Man's another... Sky. This game technically came out not this year either, but like it got a huge expansion this year. No Man's Sky next, and then whatever the latest one that I can't even remember the name it of. It like became a thing this yeah. year, though. It, it became say. a video game instead of a tech demo. And... For multiplayer space shenanigans, it's still it's really fun. Some of the uh, carrier missions, like the the derelict freighter missions, are cool in concept. I think in execution, they are kind of one note, or at least they were when I played it. This latest update supposedly added more like variability and more threat to those, which will be cool. I need to check that out. But like, in terms of feeling like you're just going around discovering shit, No Man's Sky, possibly paired with like episodes of star trek on another monitor or something or on your tv great uh great afternoon and yeah you can bring your friends in really easily it's easy to find people now um because they basically made a summonable space station that just acts as like a weird timeline nexus in universe outside of universe it's just a little it's like that's where the lobby is right like you can summon the lobby and then go into it in your spaceship but that game's real fun um, classic game, Max Payne. Oh, yeah, you streamed a lot of that one. Yeah, I'm still, like, I still need to get through it. Uh, the annoying thing about Max Payne is that getting it running on Windows 10 in a way that doesn't crash repeatedly is kind of a thing that I still need to figure out. It's so fun, dude. It's the best part. <laughs> yeah, the it's crashes, the the kind of, at least in terms of my playthrough, the crashes have kind of been funny. But, yeah, that game is still really good, holds up real well. Sequel, Max Payne 2, I think is easier to get running. And also, you know, holds up probably slightly better than this one. Max Payne 1 is kind of, uh... Very... It leans on a lot of stereotypes, and it feels more like a sketch of Max Payne 2. But I'm still having a lot of fun with it. I think that both games are, like, great if you want to just plow through them both. Um, them's good eating. That was good eating, I guess. Whatever. Yeah, that was good eating. <laughs> another older game that I need to talk about. Uh, although, this is another fun asterisk. Guilty Gear XX Accent Core Plus R is a fighting game that you can get for $3 that is still very fun. It came out like in 2000 or something. But recently, they added rollback networking to it, and it works flawlessly. Are you if you're serious? Looking, yes. If you're looking for... I don't know if that... Because like, they have another Guilty Gear coming out, so I don't know if it was basically just let's bolt networking onto this thing because it'd be easy to test it out and then, like, 
uh, put it into the mainline game or what, but, like, the networking on that game is seriously great, and that game is just fun as hell all around, and there's finally a way to play it reliably with anyone anywhere. So I definitely recommend hopping in that. I plan... I've been running some tournaments. Um, go to... And this URL is real. Sawcon.us. S-A-W-C-O-N.us for more information on our Discord and stuff. But I've been running some uh, tournaments. I ran a little, like, week weekend-long con thing. And I definitely want to get X and Core Plus R in the mix somewhere. So, yeah. If you have any interest in that, feel free to join us. My game of the year for me is one that is going to cause everyone to slap their foreheads in recognition when I say it because I'm probably the last person to get around to playing this Fallout New Vegas is incredible I should have listened to everyone who told me that game was good I did Didn't not I believe tell you them to play that? you oh, told me my friend Min told times. me Everyone who's played that game has told me to play it. I didn't, and you're like, "Oh, I don't really like Fall. I didn't really like Fallout." 4. I still think that Todd Howard's games are dog shit. I will not mince words there. Like, I think that the the mainline Bethesda Fallout games are not that good to me. Like, they just don't they don't grab me. And what's missing from those that is in Fallout New Vegas is two things: my Windows thing going off and completely dicking up that portion of the podcast that I have to edit out and probably won't now because whatever. And uh storyline and characters that I care about. And also a map that isn't just a map full of crap and it's actually laid out in a sane way to move you from whatever the next thing you're doing to the next thing. And it's a game that like a lot of the conceit of modern game design, especially those modern Fallout games, is that it's basically just, like, the map itself boils down to a list of objectives that you can tackle any time. There's always something conveniently around you that you can get to. Fallout New Vegas is really meant for you to play, like, you're not juggling quests like crazy. You're going to have one main one that you focus on, and that, completing that will get you closer to the main main quest. And... I don't know, I guess all I can say is, and this is with all of the DLC and, like, some community patches, because that, that Fallout New Vegas is a game that's easier to get running on Windows 10 than Max Payne, but still has crashing issues if you don't apply the community patches because it's a Fallout game. But once you get past all that stuff, the game holds up real well, I think. Uh, graphics still look like boiled ass, but what are you going to do? Yep. Yeah. Uh, but you can probably get it on sale for like fifteen bucks for the whole kit and caboodle. Go play it. That game is on. That game for a while was on Steam Summer Sale like every year for like three dollars. Yeah, even uh, if you just get the main game, that's still gonna be good. Yeah, like Fallout New Vegas is the best Fallout game, hands down. It's without question, and it's oh, yeah. so so good. It is so incredible. Like, I remember and, getting that game on launch day and playing it, and non, I, I couldn't stop. It, was it also just got a full conversion and update, like, mod that adds basically a whole new, like, it's a new playable game that is built on top of the bones of it by this team who's been working on it for forever. Uh, it takes place in Portland. It's supposed to be a bit snowy. That'll be cool. I haven't gotten to check it out yet. Still need to finish up a few quests in new vegas proper 
because playing the this mod is going to basically require me to start a new save file. But uh, but yeah, play it, play it, play it, play it. Um, there you guys have it, Frank's 2020 game of the year is Fallout <laughs> New Vegas. Shut up. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. One last honorable mention goes to VR Chat, which isn't really a game. And also, I haven't been able to take full advantage of it, but if even if you don't have a VR headset, because you can play it with just a monitor, it's free, and if you ever had the experience back in the day of just looking at people's random Second Life shit, it's that. There's a fully rendered Kmart with, with complete with in-store Little Caesars Cafe that you can go into. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, yeah. And that's all that I'm going to say about that. That is one of the many, 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 many completely unhinged things that are available to you on VR chat. Yeah, dude. That's pretty cool. Yeah, my buddy uh, was praising watching Netflix in VR because he could do it in what looks like a movie theater. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's fun, too, because, like, you know, everyone likes getting randos showing up. And it's uh, VR chat is a great place to go if you want to do that i guess if if you enjoy talking to the weird denizens of the internet as much as i do yeah um, i can see that but on that note unless you have uh do you have any closing thoughts for us no man i don't all right well i think that's going to be it for these weird denizens of the internet so we will catch you next time later on